1: You are Locked On Kings, your daily podcast on the Sacramento Kings.
2: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And here we are, the final edition of Locked On Kings for the week. Hope everybody had a great week and thank you for a big week of listens and clicks to the show One of our biggest weeks yet, so draft coverage has gone well. A lot of good feedback, and I do thank you guys for you listening, probably telling a few others out there to listen, so keep it up. Let more people know we continue to grow on a day-by-day basis. Today on the podcast, of course, it's Friday, so we got the Friday mailbag and more draft coverage. We're going to check in with Gary Parrish college basketball columnist and analyst for CBS Sports. He does his own mock draft as well. Gary will be joining us to talk about the aspects of what the Kings might do at 5 and 10 and some draft gems to find. We'll do all that with Gary coming up. We're going to start out with the Friday mailbag here, one of my favorite segments of the week. And if you didn't get in this week and want to do it another time, Jason.Ross at CBSRadio.com or on Twitter at JasonRoss1140. Let's start out with one of those questions from Twitter. David's always a regular, and I appreciate him. A question from him for Locked on Kings. Smarter move for Sacramento, taking on a bad contract for picks or pick or sign a big contract player. That's coming up in a free agents decision, obviously, in July. Smarter decision, I think, I mean, again, the term bad contract doesn't sound conducive to building a team, but I think that's where their flexibility is really going to hit a sweet spot for the Kings. Yes, I think they're going to have the free agent money that they could throw at some players, but... I'm not totally thrilled with overpaying guys that you're not 100% certain would work. And if those contracts are three and four years, that gets you in a little bit of trouble in some hefty contracts. So could you take on a large contract of a player that's on a team that you might like already, but that team's willing to move him? We've used Mo Harkless as an example a couple of times from Portland. Still young. He would fit what they're trying to do. He could play three, he could play four, two years left on a deal, I think it is. Well, that, that's not too damaging. Things like that. Um, I say it's more conducive and better off for this team to be able to take a financial hit from someone else's contract that maybe has already paid a player for a year or two and someone you like, and it may not cost you as much as opposed to just trying to sign someone in the free agency. So to answer your question, David, I think that the smarter move is to go after someone that you like that's already on a team that's got an existing contract that's not just totally out of whack. All right, next is from Zachary. Zachary says, hey, Jason, love the show. It's always a reliably great listen. My question is about Bogdan Bogdanovich. It sounds like there's some cautious optimism about him coming over to the Kings this upcoming season, but still some doubt. Is there a time frame or specific date on which he must make his decision? I'd really like to see what he can do. Thanks. That's from Zach. Uh, Time frame, no. There's not a, a certain date that he has to make a decision or the Kings have to make a decision. He's still technically under the King's umbrella. Now they have to sign him to a deal. That's that's where the interesting part of this had done a little bit of digging. I know James Hamm talked about it the other day about what might happen um and what they could do there. But I, I would say this, as far as looking at what the Kings might do there, I, I think he's a guy that about seventy five to eighty percent sure I think he's gonna come over. I mean not a hundred percent, but I think there's a, a decent opportunity. And I think he's gonna be anywhere between that seven, eight, ten million range to come over to the Sacramento Kings, million per year. So um, I would think that he's coming, not guaranteed, but more likely that he's coming than not. That would be my answer to you, Zachary, and thank you for your feedback on uh, the email. And the last one for our Locked on Kings mailbag this week is from Steve. And Steve, again, another regular and and just faithful for our Locked on Kings mailbag, so thank you for that. Hi, J. Ross, first off, great two-part show with Bob Gerald. Yeah, that one got a lot of hits, a lot of clicks. Bobby did a great job, and... He really knows his stuff, and I, and again, I'm going to go back to what I said on the podcast. I didn't want to have the cliffhanger, but Bobby and I were just going, and next thing I know, we're over an hour, and I thought, well, I don't know if you guys will listen to the full hour, so I broke it up into two, and, and obviously, if you waited a day, or if you didn't have to listen, then you could consume it straight through for an hour, so I didn't do it to be cruel in any way, shape, or form. I just thought it might be an easier half hour listen and roughly a half hour listen. So but thank you. First off, great two part show with Bob Gerald. Okay, now onto the complaining. I can't stand it when people compare athletes or teams between eras. I'm really looking forward, I'm really not looking forward to the best team ever. Those narratives after the Warriors sweep the Cavs Friday, every era is different in every sport. I mean, hand-checking isn't even allowed anymore. Flailing three-point fouls are designed play now. How could any objective sports fan compare any team from this era to any great team of the past? Not saying one is better than another, but to say it's a level playing field to compare on seems short-sighted to me. Do you have any thoughts on this? Am I just being bitter in my old age of 33? Well, I'm laughing at the bitter old age of 33. And no, you're not. It's not. This is not a get off my line mo- lawn moment, I don't think. And here's just another little shameless plug, Steve. I actually wrote about this exact thing, and you kind of got me going because I've been thinking about this, and I wrote about it on KH2K.com, Just another little plug. That a blog there. Um, I, I this drives me crazy. I, I I there's a few things right now that I'm that I just am furious with. The, the greatest ever, the best team ever. Last, uh, the Wednesday night game, that was something that was said after the Warriors won. This is the greatest team ever assembled. That's it. It's simple. Okay. So were they not the greatest team ever assembled before the finish of that game? You realize the Cavs were probably one made corner three by Kyle Corver away from making this two one in a different series in a different complexion. I agree. The Warriors are very good. They might be great and they may be the greatest team ever, but I can't prove it. I don't know the answer to that. Um, and the fact that we, we always have to just jump into that moment, the prisoner of the moment, right? Everything is the greatest ever. This, the debate a week ago is, is LeBron better than Michael? And now it's, is KD better than LeBron? Already? LeBron didn't even get the greatest title for a week. So I, I don't like that part of it. And the way I'll say this about the Warriors, they're fantastic. They have mastered what the present day NBA is. So um, I'm assuming they're going to win. I think it's a safe assumption that they win this series. And when they do, and if and when they do, Two wins out of three years is very impressive. It's the start of something special. If it's two wins in six years, it's not that special, right? I mean, overall. But if it's five wins in six years, yeah, that's incredible. So let it play out. I mean, the Lakers won five in the 80s. Jordan won six over eight years. This is the beginning of it. We can all recognize they'll be the favorite. They're a fantastic team, and there's great players all over the place in this series. So it's, you know... I just let it happen. And and we're so quick to judge and to make all the, the grand statements on all of this. So, and then the other part of what you're asking about, can this team beat that team, that one, it might be more infuriating, right? Uh, can the 2017 warriors beat the 85 Celtics? I have no idea. Can't prove it. Uh, there's people in that camp that will say, who's going to guard McHale, who's going to guard Parish?" I could counter. I almost take the other argument just to be uh, be difficult because I really don't care. Um, would Parrish and McHale be on um, be on the floor? How would they stay on the floor with the Warriors? Then I could go, oh, yeah, the Warriors shoot so many threes. Well, you know, Larry Bird in the last finals that he was in against the Lakers in, I think it was 87, took eight three-pointers in six games. Steph Curry's taken 31 so far in three games. What do you think Larry Bird would do on 31 attempts? I don't know if he makes as many as Steph, but he's going to make more than the four he made in six games. Different game. I, I, again, again, I think it's a senseless exercise. People will do it. The debates will go on. Is Jordan better than this guy? And I have always said this before. If Let's say two people that are considered some of the greatest players. of, I'll give you a handful of the greatest players of all time in the debate. Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. How on earth do we compare that? How do I compare Bill Russell to Michael Jordan? Not the same era. Not the same position. I don't know. Both are great. They're great. They're both great. That's okay. They can all be great. Why one has to be better than the other? I don't know. But Steve, you got me fired up. So it's not your bitter old age of 33. So thank you so much for the uh, questions coming in on the mailbag. But let's do it. Let's get into more draft conversation. This has been rolling. It's been some good feedback on the draft. So we got to continue to do this. And joining us now, college basketball columnist and analyst for CBS Sports. He knows these guys inside and out. He's seen them for years. That is the one, the only, Gary Parrish. Gary, how are you?
1: Everything's good in my world. You okay?
2: I'm good, too. Yeah, I think uh, I can actually say that Sacramento Kings fans are optimistic. It's been over a decade that this team has been in uh, just a rut, but with a pick at five, a pick at 10, and what seems to be a good draft, people are optimistic. Would you agree on that general statement that this is a loaded draft?
1: Yes. I mean, I don't think there's a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant available at the top, but I do believe that it is a better than normal draft deeper than normal draft there's future all-stars available uh in the top 10 i i I mean like if you told me and you'd have to really nail it here but if you told me sacramento picked fifth and tenth and ended up with two future all-stars like that wouldn't be shocking to me so if i were kings fan absolutely i would be excited about this because uh you're getting at least theoretically two of the best prospects uh two of the best 10 prospects from a from a draft that is Uh, been widely regarded for a while to be um, filled with talent and and pretty deep.
2: So mock drafts all over the place are are in love with faults. but I'm going to ask you, Gary, forget the team. If you are picking and you got a clean slate, it doesn't even matter what your current NBA roster is. If you are picking evaluating this entire class, who are you picking at one?
1: It is Markel Fultz. And I'm glad you set it up the way you did, because that's the way I actually look at the number one pick in any draft. I would never, ever, take into consideration my roster or my perceived needs. I mean, you just end up making a mistake there. Um, most famously, you know, when Portland passes on, you know, a, a, a guy coming out of North Carolina named Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. why did they do that? Well, because they already had Clyde Drexler. If you got Clyde Drexler, why do you need Michael Jordan? Well, like, you know, th- th- the answer is simple because he might be the greatest player of all time. <laughs> right. that, that's why you take Michael Jordan. And so I just think you, you – Every, Not every, but often fans and sometimes even basketball writers, and I, I suppose sometimes even front office executives, they look at their roster and they say, what do we need? okay we're picking at the top of this draft or near the top of this draft what do we need and they say okay well all right well we we have to have a point guard so let's go get a point guard regardless of whether he's the best prospect available when we pick or we got to have a an athletic wing who can who can guard on the perimeter so let's go find that guy regardless if he's the best prospect prospect available what we're learning right now like literally right now watching these nba finals is that um the key to being great isn't having an awesome point guard or having a awesome center or having a stretch for it's having as many awesome players as possible period Mm -hmm. you got to have the the, 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 you better have the best player in the world or more great players than anybody else those are the two teams by the way that are meeting uh, in the nba finals one of them has the best player in the world the other one's got more great players than anybody else in the world so here we are and so uh, i'm always looking who's the best prospect available i don't care about anything else i don't care if he fits i don't care if he if he makes sense with other pieces on my roster who's the best guy available and I think that is I was going to say clearly I don't know that it's quite as clear as maybe some think but in my mind um, it is Markel Foltz.
2: and just for perspective because you've done this for a long time I'm curious where if we all kind of somewhat agree that Fultz is one how does he rate Gary if we I don't know just like the last three years what have we had Simmons uh, Towns and Wiggins the last three number ones Would he be number one amongst all those? Is it that clear cut, or is it just, I don't know, where does he kind of rank in recent memory of number ones?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't heard that debated yet. I I think I'd probably lean towards taking Carl Anthony Towns over Markel Fultz if they were available in the same draft, but that might just be because I already know what Carl Anthony Towns is. Sure. Sure. You know, know, anytime you're taking a, a, a prospect, um, you, you know, it's a little bit of guesswork. I mean, like LeBron James seemed to be a sure thing coming out of college, but the, the, you know, nothing's guaranteed. I mean, coming out of high school, rather, but nothing's guaranteed with these guys. So there's still some uncertainty. Like Hill Fultz has the potential to be a you know a, a multi-time you know five, six, eight-time All-Star. Like it, it's all there. Everything you, every, all the stuff that you want to see from a guy. Um, who could maybe turn into something special at the NBA level, it's all there with faults, but you still just don't know. Whereas with Carl Anthony Towns, you already know, like he is special undeniably. So I I think I'd probably take uh, Carl Anthony Towns over faults Simmons. Yeah. We don't know either. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't know yet. We've still never seen him play a a professional basketball game. Maybe I take Simmons over faults, but that one's a little closer to me. Um, That's an interesting question, but uh, you know, I guess I would say this: if we look up in five years and Markel Fultz is, you know, uh, uh, the best player on an Eastern Conference champion uh, Boston Celtics team, um, that that would make some sense to me. I could yeah. very easily see that happening.
2: So you said you lean there, but it's not clear, clear cut. Is is Ball two? Is that is that what your debate is, or is there other guys kind of testing Fultz? To me, there's
1: four guys that. Uh, I, if you told me five years from now, I'll just keep using that as the time frame, um, though, this guy turned into the best player from the draft. It, there are four, four guys that I, I could reasonably see being that person. And it's Markel Fultz, Lonzo ball, Josh Jackson, and Jason Tatum. They all are are different. I mean, they, some of them played the same position, but they played the position differently. Jason Tatum, you know, should be able to, to score at a, at a pretty reasonable level, like immediately uh, in the NBA and could turn into, you know, a, I don't want to say a scoring champion because that might be setting the bar a little too high, but like could easily turn into somebody who's scoring in excess of 25 points a game. Uh, Josh Jackson, probably the best two way prospect in this draft. And, you know, he wasn't uh, Kansas's best player, uh, I guess by definition, because uh, Frank Mason went on to be the national player of the year. But ask that Kansas coaching staff who. Might have been in stretches their most important player, and they'll tell you it was Josh Jackson. I don't think it's a coincidence that he was suspended for the Big Twelve tournament opener, and they happened to lose that game, lose that game uh, to a team uh, that that hadn't really threatened them in any serious way throughout the regular season. Um, that had everything to do with Josh Jackson wasn't on the court because he did so many things on the court. He could score for you. He could rebound for you. He could guard multiple positions. High motor. Like he's not one of those guys that you're gonna have to beg to play hard. He just wired that way, goes hard nonstop. Uh, so if you, if we look up and he's an all-star in five years, that that yeah, I could see it. And then Lonzo Ball, I think, you know, I know people are tired of his father and his father's mouth and and sort of the <laughs> circus that surrounded all this. Certainly the price tag connected to the shoes, but he's special. I mean, he is a special and unique talent and. Um, He transformed that UCLA program immediately, honestly, exactly like his father three years ago told me he would. You know, I was the first person to ever write a national story about the Ball family. Hmm. I met him out in Vegas and it was just I I, I had a very surface understanding of what was happening here. But really, all I saw was kid going to UCLA, playing with his two brothers, uh, husband and wife, mixed race couple, coaching the AAU team, not taking shoe company money. This is interesting to me. I never met Lamar Ball at the time, but I was just interested in the in the 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 basics of the story. Then I go meet Lamar Ball, and I'm like, whoa, whoa! I never heard anybody (laughs) talk like this. Like he's amazing. All the stuff you're hearing him say over the past six months and stuff he was telling me three years ago, and I remember it vividly. One of the things he told me three years ago was, um, Lonzo's going to go to UCLA. Be one and done, but in that one year, turned UCLA into a national championship contender. And I'm like, well, UCLA's not very good right now. And who's <laughs> going to be there with them? And he said, it doesn't matter who's there with them. There'll be good enough players there with them, and then he'll make them great. And that is what he did 15 and 17 the year before he arrived. And, you know, a, a consensus top 10 team this past year won that, you know, won at Rupp Arena that advanced to the Sweet 16. And that was not all Lonzo Ball, but, but, a lot of it most of it undeniably was Lonzo Ball. Um you know I don't think it's a coincidence that TJ Leaf who nobody thought was a one and done player entering UCLA turned into somebody who could be a one and done player. Like how much of that is t- did, did we all just have TJ Leaf wrong or did Lonzo Ball make him look a lot better than he otherwise would have looked? Is it a coincidence Bryce offered shot the ball better than he's ever shot it in college? No, it's not a coincidence. Lonzo Ball created easy shot opportunities for him. And so there are some athleticism concerns in the sense that he's not a top shelf athlete like a Russell Westbrook or a John Wall or even a De'Aaron Fox. He's got this shot that is unusual and perhaps problematic. But man, he does some things that you just—this is a bit of cliche. I apologize, but you can't teach it. Like you, yeah. you know, there are there are NBA point guards right now who do not see the floor the way he sees the floor, and even if they do, they can't make the passes when when they see them. He sees things other people don't see, and then he can make passes other people can't make. Um, if he turns into everything his father says he could be, um, he, I could envision that. I'm not necessarily predicting it, but he's a—he uh, is—he's—he's he's special. That's—that's that's, un- undeniable in my opinion.
2: So, Gary, if that's your Fab Four, which is a good one, Fultz, Jackson, Tatum, Ball, in some order, as I mentioned, Kings picking five, if we go into the assumption that those four are gone, because obviously if one's open, maybe that's who they would pick, but if not, if those four go, who do you like for them at five?
1: I think I go De'Aaron Fox there, because where I talk about uh, Lonzo is not an elite level athlete. He's a better athlete than I think people realize coming out of high school, but he's not a a special athlete and so often in the NBA these days, especially like you need a super athlete at that, at that position, or you would prefer to have a super athlete at that position. And De'Aaron Fox is a a top shelf athlete. And if you didn't see it throughout the regular season, you certainly saw it in the sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament when they played uh, UCLA at FedEx forum in Memphis. And he just tore Lonzo ball up. I mean, just absolutely Lonzo couldn't stay between him and the rim. And obviously, it won't be that simple for him in the NBA. But like he gets up and down the court the way you want uh, your point guard in in this modern era of, of professional basketball to get up and down the court. The jump shot is an obvious concern. I mean, he shot a terrible percentage from three. But I don't think he's you know sometimes there's a difference between being a bad shooter and just being somebody who had a bad shooting percentage. I remember talking about this at Bra- uh, as it related to Bradley Beal coming out of Florida. He didn't shoot a great percentage at Florida from beyond the arc. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like De'Aaron Fox, but it wasn't great. And I just remember having NBA people tell me um, he, he he missed a lot of shots in what is, relatively speaking, a small sample size, like 35 games. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not a bad shooter. He's a he's a guy with a bad shooting percentage, but he's not a bad shooter. You watch him shoot, and everything's there. I'm not pretending that De'Aaron Fox is going to be a great three-point shooter, but I, I've heard in, in workouts with teams that – he's uh, alleviated some of those concerns. Like they think if the shot's broken, they can fix it. They don't believe he's going to be an 18% three-point shooter at the NBA level. Plus, that is the one thing you can teach and get better at. Historically, uh, there's the, countless guys who have gotten into the NBA and become – who who weren't great three-point shooters or even good three-point shooters in college and get to the NBA and become really good, reliable perimeter shooters uh Kawhi Leonard is an example of that so if the only concern really I've got about the Aaron Fox is is a jump shot because the, the the ball handling the passing the unselfishness the speed athleticism quickness it's all there uh I like him at five and also um I'm sure Sacramento I don't know if they've already had him in but but if not they will at some point and what they'll be blown away by him yeah I mean just an unbelievable personality um really uh thoughtful um Intelligent young man, like you know, I, I remember actually having the same opinion about Carl Anthony Towns a few years ago. The first time I sat down with him, you know, he's like an 18-year-old, uh, maybe even a 17-year-old at the time. And I spent about 30 minutes with him. And I walked out of it, and go, man, that did not feel like I like. You know, because of my job, I talk to 16-year-olds and 17-year-old <laughs> hey. basketball players all the time. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot in common, but uh, often. But with Carlton Child, I was like, man, he doesn't. That felt like I was talking to an adult. He Uh he didn't sound like a 17 year old. And De'Aaron Fox is going to come across the same way. You're going to, you know, if there's a, if there's, if it's possible to, to win people over in, in the interview process, like at dinner, um, and I believe it is, um, he's going to be able to do that for, for, if if it's not Sacramento's franchise, it'll be somebody else's.
2: Yeah. And he has been in, by the way. And I know they are enamored with him. And, um, you know, you already mentioned kind of earlier that, There is a shot that the Kings could find a second all-star even potentially at 10. That's also an important pick. What What are some of the candidates you think might be in that range that would be a good compliment, especially if they land Fox at five?
1: Well, this is where I think it becomes really interesting because obviously, by definition, we know who's going to be available at one. Yeah, and and we know we 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 figure we know who's going to be available at two because everybody assumes false is going one, and you can sort of I think reasonably project who might be available at five. Like it's either going to be one of the top four guys I'm mentioning who slips, or like at the very least, um, and, and the only way they slip I think is if somebody just runs up and loves De'Aaron Fox or right. runs up and loves Jonathan Isaac and takes them. But uh, at, at at five, if you're Sacramento, you know either. I think you reasonably know either Jackson, Tatum, or Fox are going to be on the board. And, like, the, they have, one of them has to be.
2: That's a good spot. And,
1: and you just take whichever one's on the board. That's at least my opinion. At 10, you know, it just – you. I don't want to say you have no idea, but it becomes less certain because, I mean, Malik Monk could go 5th or 11th. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like Jonathan Isaac could go 4th or 12th. Uh, you know, Dennis Smith could go – you know, top five or, or, you know, 13th. Right. And so you really do. And I think most franchises handle it this way. Uh, you, 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 you have your own big board and you, you know what you like and who you like and you cross them off as they go. Sure. And so, uh, and then whichever one's there, when it's your time to select, that's the card you turn into the commissioner. And so I, I don't think Malik Monk's available at 10, but he could be. I don't think Jonathan Isaac is available at 10, but he could be. I think more likely you're looking at Dennis Smith. And though I know I, I mentioned earlier, you never mess around with position. You just take best player available. I don't think if you take De'Aaron Fox with five, you take Dennis Smith at 10. So even if he were on the board, I'd probably let that slide in any other point guard prospect. Uh, Justin Jackson's the guy in my, my draft that I have going 10 to Sacramento. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think he makes a a, a lot of sense. Um, you know, he's somebody who has great size for his position. Um, became a really good three-point shooter this year at North Carolina. And outside of athleticism, I don't know that there's any attribute uh, more desired in the NBA right now than the ability to make a shot from the perimeter. Like that's sort of what Cleveland built their team around. It's not going to be good enough to get past Golden State, it doesn't appear. But like, you know, let's just take LeBron James and, and surround him with shooters. And so Justin Jackson would qualify uh as a shooter so if i'm sacramento and now now keep in mind laurie marketing could be an option Zach collins could be an option if you really wanted to go young and and sort of upside justin Patton could be an option og and Obi, somebody who might be a top 10 pick if not for the knee injury Um, if you looked at him and saw something special um then then that's not a reach to take him at 10 there's a lot of good options there but I, i the guy i've got going there right now because I do have Monk Isaac Smith um, uh, off the board is, is Justin Jackson. And if, if I'm Sacramento and I end up, you know, spending my two top 10 picks on De'Aaron Fox and Justin Jackson, I feel really good about the the future of my franchise, particularly when you, you know, look at the other interesting young pieces on that roster. Um, I think uh, among them, Scala Bissier, who is mm-hmm. somebody um, I'm very familiar with because I, I don't mean to keep saying this as if I'm bragging because it's nothing to brag <laughs> about. I, I just happened to um, I wrote the first story about Scal as well. You know, he and I lived about 15 minutes from each other once he moved to the Memphis area. And uh, I've known him since he was, you know, 15, 16 years old. And um, I, I know you've been around him. Just sure. such an impressive, kind, um, you know, sweet young guy. And I think he's got a bright future. What you're finding out with him um, is something that I thought would be true when he even was struggling at Kentucky, which is that he was misused at Kentucky, you know, John Calipari for all his greatness, um, likes his bigs to be big. He wants his bigs to be big. And Scal was never comfortable with that. He needs to float around a little bit and be a face up four. and um, I think Dave Yeager gave him an opportunity to do some of that, particularly late in the season. And you saw all the stuff that made people think once upon a time, he could maybe have been the number one pick in the 2016 NBA draft. So you go young core of Justin Jackson, De'Aaron Fox, Scala Bissier and whatever other pieces you prefer. Um, I, You know, you, you there is something to start to get excited about there in Sacramento.
2: Yeah, and you're so dead on, Gary, about Scal. Just genuine, just a genuine good person, good human being, and Kings fans love the ceiling of what he could be. And, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you, because you, you touched on uh, Zach Collins. I heard you mention Justin Patton. I'm thinking about Jared Allen, I don't know, Swan again. All these bigs, traditionally in the draft, bigs go early. And so is this group properly rated, or is it a situation where, hey, we're now in the NBA where, you know, look at the finals where Draymond and Kevin Durant are playing center. Are these guys victim of of I don't want to say small ball, but the center's kind of being becoming obsolete, or are they actually properly rated in this draft?
1: Well, it's interesting because what you used to think you would want almost more than anything else to start an nba franchise is like a dominant center shot blocking center you know a shaquille o'neal uh, um an alonzo warning uh or even a greg odin like it's not really what you want anymore like i wonder put all the health stuff aside like if greg odin were coming out of ohio state today hmm. as the exact same player would it be obvious to everybody that he had to go number one?
2: Yeah, good point. Like, I don't
1: know anymore. I don't like the games changed, and and I, I, it's killing people like Jalu Okafor. Jahlil Okafor twenty years ago would have been like, oh wow, I, I can't believe we got this guy. Now he's like, he's sometimes unplayable. Meantime, it's great for guys like T.J. Leaf. Why? Uh, because he can stand in the corner and knock down a shot. Mm-hmm. Like everybody wants a stretch four, and you almost can't play without one. I mean. You know, I think Draymond Green had a, a quote the other day, and I don't remember who he was talking about. Oh, I think he was like weighing in on the the debate about '96 Bulls, oh, right. 2017 Warriors, yeah. right? And he said, "Well, like it's just a different game." He's like, right, now, like, like they got guys. They would have guys on the court, multiple guys on the court who can't make a three pointer. And if you can't make a three pointer today, like you you you're a liability on the court and that is un- like undeniably true. And so uh, how does TJ Leaf go from a borderline top 30 prospect coming out of high school to to a possible lottery pick? Well, he's like 6'10 and showed at UCLA consistently that he could knock down a perimeter jumper. And so um it's just an interesting time to to you know because the the game has changed not not quite overnight but pretty quickly. Yeah. Like people are playing today in a way that they didn't really play five years ago, and so, um, you know, the traditional centers are probably—I was going to say undervalued, but I don't know if they're undervalued. Like, if the game's changed and you can't use them anymore, true. Um, and, and the way that you used to use them, maybe they're properly undervalued and 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 pushed aside a little bit. And so, um, it's just all been—it's all been interesting to watch. Like this this Golden State Warriors thing has really changed. Uh, the entire league and and yeah, I, I've seen it up close in Memphis you know the the Grizzlies were one of the last franchises to to try to play two bigs two conventional bigs mm-hmm. and Marcus saw and Zach Randolph and uh when David Fitzdale came in and took over he like almost immediately said we can't play that way you know like you we need shooter like there's no scenario under which you can play Marcus saw Zach Randolph and uh, Tony Allen, right. At the same time, because like you've got three non-shooters on the court, so what did he do? Kept Tony Allen in the starting lineup mostly. Put Zach Randolph on the bench. Put a stretch four out there, not a great one, but at least somebody you could reasonably call a stretch four. And demanded, like literally demanded, that Marcus saw start shooting three pointers. I mean, they just had to change. Like Marcus saw a former first-team All-NBA guy, had to completely change the way he plays to be able to exist at a high level in today's NBA. And so I find it all interesting with watching it at the professional level, but then also watching it as it relates to the NBA draft, because there's a certain type of prospect who would have been a top five guy 10 years ago who now maybe can't go in the top 20 just because there's nothing wrong with him. It's just that the game has changed all around it.
2: Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to follow this, see it progress. I know Kings fans, again, 5'10". And heck, I'll even finish with this one. They picked 34th. That could be a guy that we know this year there were so many NBA All-Stars that were second-rounders. Is there a gem or a sleeper that you're seeing later in mock drafts that you say, boy, if a, if he goes somewhere, that guy could be someone that, that really has some huge potential, someone you're keeping an eye on later in the draft?
1: You know what? Uh, Caleb Swanigan.
2: Yeah. And, you know, he's not really up. a
1: sleeper. He's a National Player of the Year candidate. But he... He doesn't like you know he was heavy coming out of high school. He wasn't a, a a top, you know, 10 prospect coming out of high school. And so he for the longest time didn't really project as somebody who was seriously on NBA people's radars. But he's transformed his body. He rebounds at an elite level which often translates to to the NBA. He Uh, show the ability to step away and knock down a shot. Like he shot a great percentage from three point range this year. And so I look at him and I'm not telling you he needs to go in the top 10 or the lottery, but I look at him and I go, why is he not going to be able to succeed in the NBA? Like, what is the problem? Like, okay. He's not a, he's not a terrific athlete. I hear you. But like he's six, nine, he can shoot. He put up numbers. Unlike anything we've ever seen at the high major level since Tim Duncan, I mean that's like it's like setting double double records in the Big 10 setting like uh whatever the numbers are like points rebounds assist shooting percentage nobody had done anything like he had done it since I mean nobody done it like he did it this past season since Tim Duncan and so there's a part of me that just says if you can contribute at that level uh to those degrees um you know in the Big 10 and and uh, or at the high major level in general at college, like I just refuse to believe you're not going to turn into a relevant NBA player. And if you can get that guy in the second round, and you might really be able to get that guy in the second round, certainly at 34, I'd be really tempted to just snatch him up and say, all right, um, you know, maybe, maybe we're reaching here, but my God, the numbers were incredible, incredible at college. And, um, and let's just see, because I can envision a scenario where you look up, And I was going to like, it don't even have to be two years from now. It could be December. And you go, Oh, wow. Like what, how did all these franchises pass on Caleb Swanigan? It's not like he wasn't at Purdue completely dominating everybody who tried to, who tried to, to guard him. Uh, How did, how did these franchises miss on him? So that's one that um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where he lands and, and how it goes, I think he probably, and this is the case with a lot of, of NBA guys, rookies especially, got to be in the right situation. Sure. I mean that, sometimes it just comes down to opportunity. Um, like would Kawhi Leonard be Kawhi Leonard today if he was drafted by another franchise exactly. in San, San Antonio? I don't know. So he's got to be in the right situation. But if we look up and in, in Caleb Swanigan is a second-round pick who turns into a um, a significant rotation player for, for a relevant NBA team, I, I could see that for sure. And don't ever forget, I know you know this, like, you know, and i'm not comparing them as players they're not uh similar at all but like uh, draymond green was awesome in college mm-hmm. and people people were like yeah but is he this enough is he that enough is he this enough got him in the second round and, and now he's turned into somebody who's about to have uh his second world championship ring and might be on his way to a hall of fame career which is remarkable
2: absolutely gary this was a lot of fun thank you so much we'd love to do this again uh, keep up your good work and uh, we really appreciate the time
1: my pleasure man anytime i'm here
2: well, my thanks to Gary Parrish for joining us here on Locked on Kings. Truly have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week. More draft coverage. We're closing in on the final within two weeks of the NBA draft. So we'll continue our coverage. Keep clicking and listening. Thank you for doing that. Tell everyone where we are at Locked on Kings. You can find us on Google Play on and Boom, on Stitcher, on iTunes. Subscribe. It's free. Listen when you want. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all your support and enjoy it. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.
1: You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs,